Well, hello. Welcome back to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. My name is Garland. My name is Cameron. We have a nice, a nice light topic for you. One today, of the Cameron. lighter subjects to chew. Yeah, on. this is everybody's favorite. Um, but here's why I think it's important. Um, when we read the pages of the Bible, and there's just no escaping it. Uh, when you look at the Old Testament, especially the prophets, the books of the prophets, when we look at the New Testament, some of the things that Jesus himself will say, when we look at uh, even the final book of our Bible, the book of Revelation, it seems as if there's an awful lot of judgment in the Bible, both, we might say, corporately. Um, so, you know, nations are judged. Um, the people of Israel as a nation, its leaders are judged, but also individually. Um, Ezekiel stakes its claim on saying that people are held responsible for what they do. Jesus will say similar things. Um, how do we handle this? I think this is one of the mo most objectionable things in our sort of modern world that we live in, the idea of a God who judges, of a God who um, who seemingly sends people to, to hell and uh, seems angry and is out for blood. I think when many people read the Bible, that's how it comes across to them. And maybe it, it, in a more, um, a, a less dramatic way, but still equally problematic, is the, the idea of God being loving, how is that compatible with God being a God who will also judge. How do we square those things? So I just load. I just unloaded like it's all there. A huge it's amount of cultural cultural questions, <laughs> weight, and expectations on you. We've got like sixteen minutes to go through it. So uh, tell tell us how would you begin to answer that question? Yeah. Well, there are a million ways you could begin. I, I would maybe. I think an interesting place to start is here: is to imagine imagine the opposite. Imagine the opposite of a God of judgment. So. Um, and I've, I've used this before as an illustration in sermons or whatever, but imagine a God uh, who is absolutely, utterly non-judgmental, or you might say completely accepting, you might say 100% totally unconcerned with sin. Um, and when people are raging against the idea of, of a God of judgment, this is kind of what they, what they want. If God exists, I want him to be sort of just kind of all approving, unjudgmental, very chill, very cool, easygoing with whatever. He's always very chill. They're very chill, very chill. God. Yeah. Very chill. I don't know why we would expect the God of the universe. If there, if there is such a thing who started the Big Bang, <laughs> we also want him to be really chill, very chill. and cool. Very chill. <laughs> yeah, right, um, right. So what do people want whenever, if I'm accurately diagnosing that that seems to be what, what people would desire, what they would prefer to at least their, you know, understanding of the biblical God, they want approval. Um, they want the idea that there's nothing they could do that would disappoint this God. There's no way he would be disapproving of them. There's no way that, you know, he would, he would call them to deny themselves in any way. Uh, there's no rebuke. There's no discipline. Uh, there's no consequence, and and it, there's just this complete freedom to live however you want. Um, some people, some people even go so far as to say, if we could just do that, if we could have a, a God like that, or even just an understanding of a God like that, uh, perhaps that would be the thing that could usher in utopia, and everybody would just get along. You know, it's like it's like uh, the John Lennon song, "Imagine." Imagine there's no heaven above us, no hell below us. Man, people, it's just like peace and love, and everyone's just hanging out. We sing "Kumbaya," um, but. If you chase that idea down far enough, if you go further, far enough with it, you start to see the underbelly. 
um, if if this is who God was, if, if for any God who might claim to exist, if if they are this way, what you inevitably get is this God would have to look on approvingly at our worst nightmares and our worst horrors. If he's going to approve of what you do unconditionally, he's got to approve of everything unconditionally. He would be ha- he'd have to be happy to to you know to tolerate the cries of Ukrainian children trapped under the rubble of their destroyed homes. Um, he would have to celebrate even <laughs> things like Nazi Germany and and the the horrific tragedies. Every ugly thing that exists, every act of human violence and oppression and abuse, this God would simply have to shrug at, if not give two thumbs up toward. Um, you know, to maybe even make it more personal, I'd maybe put put it this way. To, this God, this God that we're hypothetically exploring, he would have to look on your life and my life's very own deepest, darkest moments of suffering and victimization and just be indifferent to it. That's, that's ultimately where you get when you start down this road of a God who is unjudgmental and sort of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, so I also, as you were talking, or as you were kind of rattling through, like, there's no consequence if there's no rebuke. Like, as you were saying, some of those words, I don't know why it triggered for me in my own brain. Like, I have three children. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're almost 11, almost 9, and 5 right now as we're recording this. If I, it, I, I think there even are some parenting styles now that are almost suggesting this. Mm. And yeah. I, this is not a podcast on that, but because I wouldn't be fit to do that. But I, I cannot imagine if there was no rebuke, like if there was no correct if there was no discipline, if there was no even, we might say, if I was not engaging things that would bring harm or danger to them, if I rubber stamped all of it, then I, I would actually look at a parent doing that and say that parent is unloving. Um, there would be something deeply troubling Absolutely. about that. And, I, and you, you didn't bring a, a, an analogy of a childhood in, but as you were going through that list, I was like, we would never look at a parent and say that's a plus parenting, and yet it seems as if we can somehow expect this of God uh, when we talk about a God uh, in, in this kind of a way. Now it raises a question. Though. Let me let me let me muddy the waters for you sure. a little bit here. Um, the hypothetical I think is interesting, and I'm glad you started us here. But I think it normally it, it's the question's coming from this kind of a posture. I'll describe it this way. Tell me how you would respond to this. I think that we want a God who will approve of basically my, my life, my choices, but of course he would approve of me. Mm. I'm a good person. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a nice person. I do good things. And I think most people on your hypothetical would say, well, no, no, no. We, we would want God to care about those things, but it almost always, I think, when this, even in your hypothetical, it becomes a them, the really, really, really bad people, they need judgment. Mm-hmm. Me, the really, really good person, I'm, of course, undeserving of judgment and for God to bring any rebuke to me would be completely unfair and unloving. How would you respond to that? I, I think what I would say is I think that's the right impulse for people. I, I, and I think you're right. Most people would hear this hypothetical and go, oh, you have obviously straw manned me. I would not want a God who approves of this, this, and that. Uh, but what, where they end up often, where we all end up often is with a God, back to a God who does judge. He just judges somehow, <laughs> coincidentally, 
in exact right, alignment with how I view the world, <laughs> my personal goals. He, right. His judgment just so happens to afford, to align with what gets me ahead in life and the things that I enjoy and I don't enjoy. Right. He punishes right. my enemies harsher <laughs> than he punishes me. So you end up with a God of judgment, but a God um, that's a bit capricious and that's a bit uh, just, you know, when you put it in these terms, it becomes pretty nakedly weird like okay oh you just want one that kind of works things out for you and not for anyone else but it but it's but it's good to say like i do think most people when they chase these ideas down they do hit that point where they go no there does if there is a god he does need to have a basic orientation towards justice and that's why many people can't become truly nihilist for for very long if they flirt with those ideas this idea that nothing is meaningless there's no morality ever you know just just essentially grab as much power as you can and and until you die um most people cannot find that a, a satisfying way to live and so people inevitably they can't stay in that nihilist place um and that's why you have so many cries even think about our country over the last three years so many movements and now all of these things are mixture and they're complicated and more than we can sound bite here briefly but people crying out into the street for justice to be done which is just another word for judgment for 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 the righteousness of someone to come to bear on a situation that's intertwined with evil and and injustice and so um, I just think it's it's part of the way we've been created uh, to, to to yearn for these things, uh, which is kind of surprising, I think, for for some of us to realize once we start chasing these ideas down. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is, because we, we've entitled this, uh, why is a God of judgment good news? And I think right off the bat, many of us say it can't be. Right. And what you're what you're uh, suggesting is to consider the opposite, um, to do a little bit of uh, of work, and then even uh, how. We, how capricious we end up being when we have when we invent a God who basically judges the things that I like and don't like, and I'm guessing his <laughs> yeah. whims change as fast as mine do, um, and then he's mad about the things that I change as I you know age and grow in my own life and my things the things I see mm-hmm. and think change. Um, so I, I think that's helpful. Now when we look at the Bible, I think this can also be surprising. I think when we look at the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, mind you, the Bible frequently will talk about God bringing judgment, but oftentimes when the Bible's talking about judgment, it's talking about a collection of people. Um, It's talking about nations and groups, and what's fascinating is the people that take center stage in the Bible, the nation of Israel, by far are judged the harshest. I mean, they are judged the harshest. If you read the books of the prophets, it's like page after page after page of judgment. And they're, they're largely uh, held responsible for two things. The first is idolatry, when they fail to worship Yahweh as their true God. And, when, and in so doing, they, they don't obey their law. They don't obey their covenant. And the second is when they, when they allow injustice to permeate their culture, when they look like the pagan nations around them and they fail to treat humans made in the image of God, uh, how God has made them to be uh, protected and cared for and respected. When you look at how, when God does bring judgment on the people that are not Israel, the nations around Israel and sometimes all the nations, he holds the nations responsible largely for injustice, how they treat other people, how the nations go about protecting what God has made in his image, as the Bible would say it, it's almost as if Yahweh, the creator of the uh, of the universe, the covenant God of the scriptures, the God of the Bible, 
He holds people, the nations responsible for the simple reality of how did you treat what I made in my image? Mm -hmm. we, we can all, and I think most human cultures see something about other humans and say there's something inherently valuable there. And that might be woven into us by Yahweh. And what's striking, I think, to many when you read the Bible is, so you floated out this suggested hypothetical, because they're the opposite. I think it's really helpful. When we also look at the judgment in the Bible, it's oftentimes surprisingly corporate in nature. Israel's held to a very high standard, and the nations are held to how they treat human beings in the image of God. I think the reason I'm chasing down this little rabbit show right now is so many of the cries in our culture right now for justice, for justice to flow, for rightness, yeah. the biblical word is righteousness, but it's God's right order in the world. That actually, as, as you were talking, I was like, those are the very cries the Bible is saying. Exactly. That Yahweh cares about. Those are the very things that Yahweh brings his judgment in and on in the world. And so on, on two, two areas, I can see both the hypothetical to the opposite, but then the very nature, I think, of what is judged in the scripture. On both accounts, from where I said, I go, okay, I, I, when I consider it from the biblical perspective, I can start to see how that's a, that's a good thing. That's, a, that's a, something that we should aspire to. Okay, yeah. how else would you help us then in this? I'm start, I think I'm starting to get it. The, Take me all the way to the end zone here. <laughs> Help me to really fully get it and appreciate what you're taking me to here. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll try. We'll try. Um, okay, okay. So, <laughs> so I like you keeping your expectations yeah, as modest, low as possible. Modest expectations. <laughs> yeah, these are heavy things. This is out of curiosity where we, we might suggest things to you occasionally. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> one thing I would say, I mean, there are perhaps a few questions that are just worth asking because people ask them all the time. We've already asked some of them, but another one is, is a judging God in conflict with a God of love? And I think what you were just gesturing at, Garland, kind of answers that well, that the answer is no. Like, one of the most helpful things I've ever, I've ever heard is the idea that God's judgment um, is just the flip side of his love. It's his love violated. I mean, you've, you, you've articulated it well here, Garland. His desire is for his, create, his people, his image bearers, uh, to be an intimate, close fellowship with him, um, to uh, and and with one another, <laughs> you know, boil down the great commandment: love God and love people. He wants human flourishing. He wants humans that he loves, that he's made, that he sustains, that he has entered this whole thing of salvation history to redeem. He wants them to thrive and to flourish. Now that's along his definitions, not necessarily every definition we might want to come up with. But so it makes perfect sense. If he loves us and he sees things that are hindering our relationship with him, damaging us, abusing us, killing us, destroying us, curdling our souls, um, he's going to have a rightful anger at those things. So I think it can just be really helpful to see his love um, just as the flip side of his judgment and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. As a counter question, you might just ask, how could we call God truly loving if he eternally turned a blind eye to sin, evil, suffering, injustice, death, all of these things that we've been talking about? It's impossible to, I think it'd be impossible to call that God genuinely a God of love. Um, I think another question is this, you know, people ask, how could we trust a character of the character of a God who judges? And this is related, of course, but, um, you know, we, we imagine like when we start talking about God as judge, that he's some sort of, um, I don't know, that he's, he's similar to like the Roman emperor or something like that, that we read about. And 
remember that, that God's character is most fully on display in the person of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. The same God who, who fully, most clearly re- revealed himself in humble Jesus, who came as a servant, humble champion of the poor and the sick and the marginalized, a lover of the whole world. This God is the same one who judges the world. So he doesn't do it from a dispassionate place of, you know, just looking to strike, strike everybody down. He's not malicious. He's not vindictive. He is, to quote Exodus 34, he is the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And it goes on. You should continue to read it. But we just get that perfect balance there of his gracious long suffering and the fact that he will draw a line in the sand and say, no more, no more destruction of what I love. Man, I think that's what we want, Garland. I really do. Mm-hmm. So as you're articulating this, there's there's questions and stones still left unturned here um, that, that we will come to maybe at other podcasts at a later date because um, there's the question of you know hell and yeah. uh, personal judgment and what that looks like yep. and and those are real and 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 they matter and they oftentimes can be very painful questions to ask because we are thinking of real people and um, and we will get to that I promise we'll we'll come back and do an episode on that at a later date uh, I think. For, for the purposes of, of this question and the way that we're trying to, uh, to articulate it here in this episode, this is a major, major objection to Christianity. There's so much judgment. That can't be the God of love. And I think what you've en- enabled us to see, and not just, um, I don't hear in you a, um, can we kind of sneak out the back door on this one? Or uh, maybe we can kind of give it a quick answer and tuck it away in the corner. I think what I'm hearing from you is, uh, is even the suggestion to, to, to soak in, to marinate in, to reflect on the goodness that it is that we have a God who will bring justice and rightness to this world, yes. who cares about such things, who is not dispassionate, as you said, to these things, and that we shouldn't run from such an idea. In fact, it's innately woven into even the most skeptical person out there. And it, it, we might have to conclude it this way, though. When we consider the justice of God, and you've suggested taking us to Jesus, we see on the cross yes. where God's justice and God's love intersects in a way that is way beyond our ability to uh, you know, articulate right now in this podcast, but whatever we want to do with the God of the scriptures, who is a God of holiness and justice and rightness in the world, however we go about answering these questions, they must be answered in front of the cross of Jesus. Yes. Um, I think it changes our tone as we have that conversation. I think it adjusts how, how, what we expect from this question. And so uh, this has actually been really surprisingly helpful. I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I've, I'm really finding this to be a profound thought that I haven't really spent much time considering. Any last words you have for us uh, as, we, as we close it down? Man, I would just dovetail on that last point you were making is that we have to consider these things at the foot of the cross. And when you start talking about God's judgment, you haven't, you haven't really gotten anywhere until you come to the fact that Jesus has already borne the world's judgment. And so if you're, if you're a skeptic, you're like, what is he talking about? What I mean is the whole point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole point of the biblical narrative, the centerpiece of it, the climactic 
at least one of the climactic points, one of the most climactic, is the idea that Jesus went to suffer and die on the cross to bear God's judgment against sin and evil in and of himself. So God, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit even involved, they have made this plan in which the, the, the way they were going to rescue and fundamentally deal with this issue of like, humans are sinful and we're fallen and we're broken and we hurt each other. We, we deserve justice, but he also pours out mercy and grace and forgiveness. He has taken the consequence, the punishment, the guilt of all this stuff into himself and dealt with it first and foremost there. And then he offers that forgiveness to us and even his righteousness to us as a free gift. Um, so, so whatever you think about the judgment of God, um, he has borne it himself that at the deepest, most fundamental level, no person has to bear that judgment because he's borne it for them if they will receive that free gift through faith. Now I'm just preaching it, you guys, and I don't know if that's the point of this podcast, but, <laughs> but it's, um, that is, you couldn't help yourself, that's though. the end point of, of the conversation about justice, the God who is just, who has borne his own judgment to save his people. That is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that it, it, it recolors everything, as you were saying earlier. We might say that Exodus 34 passage you quoted earlier, it finds its yes and its amen at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, this conversation has to be had there. A uh, lot of questions still left uh, that we can ask, and we will come back to those uh, at another time. For now, this gives us a lot just to marinate in and a lot to consider. We hope this is helpful to you out there. As always, thanks for joining us, and thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. 